Well, hello, everybody. What a joy, what a joy, what a joy it is to see you. How many are glad to be in the house of the Lord? Praise God. It is great to see you, and indeed, happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers, grandmothers, the big sisters, the mother-like figures, and in my community, the big mamas. We just thank God for all of you. Praise God. We love you. We love you. We love you. We do. I was reflecting upon the fact that uh, my mother has been asleep in Jesus for the last 15 years. I can't wait till the resurrection, but I certainly remember her today. And we remember those who are here, those mothers that are here with us today. Maybe your child is not with you, your son, your daughter is not with you for whatever reason. It might even be the pain of losing them in death. But we today celebrate you and we celebrate life. And we celebrate all that God blesses us through, through those that we call mother. Would you clap your hands again for all the moms? Come on. Those on the earth and those in heaven. Come on, let's celebrate them. Praise God. Praise God. It is exciting what God is doing here in this church family. I'm just so excited to be a part of Bridgeway and excited about where God is taking us. As a church, uh, our, our pastor, uh, Pastor Lance, has just done an outstanding job at uh, guiding us in this, what is called the year of identity, where we're embracing this understanding of who God has called us to be, not, not just as a, a church, not just as Bridgeway, but really, I believe what he calls us to be as believers, Christians, Christ followers. And uh, we have embraced what is called the five core values, the five core values of our church. And this first part of my sharing with you on this day is just to really take another look at our core values and just examine that just for a few minutes, just to refresh us and to remind us. Again, uh, this is that which we, we, there's no negotiating with. We we embrace this fully. Uh, There's no compromise with this. This is who we are. This is part of our DNA. Uh, we have diversity of culture. Culture certainly must be diverse. There are things that we do that uh, reflect our, our, our culture, that reflects who we are. I, I was talking to someone on last evening, and they said, well, you know, you know, our, our core value at, at, at Bridgeway is blue jeans. And I, <laughs> and I started looking. I said, I don't see that as part of the five. I said, now that might be, I said, that may be, in essence, part of the culture of Bridgeway. I said, the culture may be, uh, you know, blue jeans and so forth. Just like for me, part of my culture is I like bow ties. You know, that's just part of me. But how many of you know there's room for bow ties in Bridgeway? Come on. There's room for bow ties in Bridgeway. I, I don't have that many blue jeans. Maybe one day. Okay, but if you'll accept me with my bow tie, I'll accept you with your blue jeans and we'll all go to heaven, right? All right. But when it comes to our core values, that which, again, identifies us for who we are as believers and as a church, those things we must never compromise. Those things we must be in agreement with. And, and there are five of them. Uh, the, the first one is, is knowing God, knowing God. Uh, the, the fact that we uh, embrace that wholeheartedly within our church family, that we want to know 
God. And aren't you glad that we're in a place where we can learn the Word of God verse by verse? We're not, we're not teaching philosophy here. We're teaching what does the Word say and allowing the text to speak to us. We're, we're blessed with that. We, we want to know God. That's, that's part, of, again, of our identity, who we are. And then secondly, uh, loving generously. Loving generously. I'm, I'm loving the fact that um, I, I taught here, I think, about a month ago or so, and had shared with you all the importance of being sweet and speaking to each other. And, and smiling, and I gave the example of going out to the Galleria Mall and how I'd spent a whole hour and a half out there and didn't get spoken to one time, despite the fact that I was saying, hello, hello, hello. And now, I guess word has gotten out among you Bridgewadians because I went there again and I had so many folks saying, hello, hello, hello. And of course, <laughs> they identified themselves as being from Bridgeway, so that, that's powerful to me. There was... One lady that was working in Hallmark, and uh, she, she came from behind the counter and hugged me so tight, I almost lost my breath. I mean, so it's just, it's just a blessing that, again, the impact of what we're sharing, and uh, that you all don't just hear it, but you do it. You're, you're hearing it, and then you put it into action. So, again, loving generously. Uh, secondly, uh, building family. Family is important to us. Family is very important to us. Uh, I, I enjoyed driving up today and coming in and seeing all of the youth and all of the children coming on the campus and seeing married couples and seeing single parents and seeing young and seeing the elderly, seeing us all come together as one family. And, and, and again, and, and just celebrating God together, that, that's beautiful. We, we embrace that wholeheartedly. Uh, our, our fourth core value, uh, building uh, disciples or developing disciples, that's important to us. We're not just merely coming here to have church. We, we want to see men and women see their lives transformed with the gospel, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that we would see disciples develop so that you can develop other disciples. You, you follow that? That we, we develop disciples for the purpose of going out and multiplying and developing other disciples. That, that's the heart of Jesus. That, that's our heart. And then last, partnering missionally. Partnering missionally. That we join hands with others, not just within this uh, campus, but also those throughout our community, the greater Sacramento region, uh, celebrating again that we're a part of one great big body of Christ. That's who God has called us to be. And, you know, it's neat how that's been reflected even in our, our change. Pastor laid out for us our, our change of our logo. Did you, were you all, did you all see that last week, the change of our logo? How we've had one logo for so many years and, uh, and it's, it's a wonderful expression, a wonderful logo that we've had. But now there's a second, a new logo that he rolled out on last week to us. And it's just beautiful to see how this new logo is expressing all of our core value. You see there the Tower Bridge, the Tower Bridge that is there. It's showing that we are connected to the greater Sacramento community. That Listen, listen, our influence doesn't stop at Douglas Boulevard in Roseville. Okay, we go all the way out <laughs> and, and God has called us to impact and be an influence within 
our community. So we're, we're loving that, how that's expressing, again, our core values. I, I want to add one last piece to this, if I may, just to remind us. Uh, how, how many of you are excited about our new campus that we're getting ready to move to? Are you excited about that? Isn't that wonderful? Man, I, I, I'm enjoying, I'm getting a little preview of it. We, we haven't gone into the new worship center yet or the new building as, as it is. We're, the office has uh, since moved and we're in a building that's adjacent to the new campus and, or the new building for the worship center. And I'm enjoying just, you know, eyeballing and seeing everything that's going on. I got a chance to go and see my little office, you know, and um, Already picking out my little furniture and everything, you know, I'm, I'm getting excited about it. It's, it's, it's a beautiful campus, but here's what the, the Lord just reminded me in my own heart. And I want to remind us as a family that we embrace, hear these words, that we embrace all of his blessings and even these core values, that we embrace and exude them, hear this, with humility. That we embrace and we exude these core values and the blessings of God on our life with a heart and a spirit of humility. We never, listen, we never want to come into a place and an idea that uh, we just, because of who we are and because of our status and because of who we think we are, or even because we think we're so blessed that these things are just supposed to happen and people are just supposed to, you know, respond or bow down to us. We want to embrace everything that God does with the understanding it's the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. We want to embrace that with humility. It's the Lord's doing. I don't care how much we're blessed. I don't care how much God does for us. Let's never forget where our blessings come from. So that when we speak to others, when we uh, share with others, we do so not in an obnoxious way, not in a way that seems that we, we deserve this, but rather we, we, we serve a God who has loved us so much that he's entrusted us with these things. He's entrusted us with these core values that we, again, would exude them with a heart of humility, whether that's knowing God, whether that's loving generously, whether that's building our family or, or developing disciples or even partnering missionally. I'll give an example of that every week before whoever is teaching, uh, whether it's Pastor uh, Lance or Pastor Brian or myself, whomever is coming up here, Pastor Matt, when we come up here to minister the Word of God, we always are blessed to have the prayer team, go in the prayer room and pray with us before we come out on the stage. And, and they spend time with us in prayer. And I was just so blessed even the last, this past weekend to be able to be in the room with men and women who did not possess a heart of arrogance. They didn't go in the room like, we're the prayer warriors of the church. And we're going to pray for you. No, it was a heart of humility a heart of warmth that you could just see the Holy Spirit using them to lift and to minister to my own heart. I was telling uh, three of them uh, this past weekend, it's because of their humility that we can stand here and minister the Word of God with clarity and with boldness and with an understanding that God is using it to transform hearts. So can I encourage you today, because of the humility of others, you are being blessed today, right now, in this room, because we're embracing everything God's called us to do with a heart that is humble before Him. Amen? Praise God.
James 4.10 puts it like this. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Listen, let's all stay humble, beloved, and let's watch God take us higher. Clap your hands if you're in agreement with that. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. All right, here we go. Sing it together, everybody. There you go. There you go. Okay, let's stop. <laughs> you all have finished the song if I let you do it. Pastor's been leading us in the teaching of Ecclesiastes. It's been a powerful teaching thus far. He's laid a foundation with us that, to be quite honest, when Pastor Lance first said, we're going to go into a new series. And we're going to talk about Ecclesiastes. I must submit to you, I did not sense a lot of enthusiasm in the room. If it was not for our pastor having his unique ability to encourage us uh, in his own anointed way, which typically is, woo, that's if if it wasn't for that, I don't think we would be able to approach the teaching of Ecclesiastes the way that we are. But it it really is powerful how he's helping us and God is using him and using the other pastors to help bring this out to us. And I just want to help carry it out a little bit further. In fact, you have your fill-in. If you'll take your fill-in that's on your handout that you received, take your handout and I want you to fill this in if you will, please. Fill this out. Just put, God gave us, here's the first word, work to soothe our, the second word is soul. God gave us work to soothe our soul. We're going to examine that as we get into Ecclesiastes today. We're going to examine work. First, the origin of work. Where did it come from? How did it begin? What was God's idea of work? Then secondly, we're going to briefly explore A catastrophic event that took place that altered God's intent for working. God's intent for work. Something changed. Something changed. Something shifted. But we're not going to stop there because that would be a sad note to start or to finish with. We're going to stop with the reality that God now through the work of Jesus Christ has restored us back to the original intent of what work was designed to be. That sounds like some good stuff, huh? Look with me over in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's start there before we get into Ecclesiastes. Let's start with 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read two verses. All Scripture, verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Everybody say, all Scripture. scripture. Say it again, all Scripture. Yeah. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable, or some versions say good, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All Scripture, I submit to you, That includes Ecclesiastes. We could easily say 
Ecclesiastes is breathed out or is God breathed and it is good or it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the people of God may be complete, may be complete, may be whole, may listen, whatever we have been called to do. Whatever God has purposed us to do, the very work that he has began, he is faithful to complete it. He is faithful to complete it. In other words, whatever he started, he knows how to finish it. See? He is faithful to complete it. So that the people of God may be complete and equipped, have the resources that we need so that, watch this, every opportunity that is put before us, we have the ability to do it and be successful at it. That's good stuff. In other words, it's, it's all in the Word. Everything we need is in the Word of God. It's like ragu. It's in here. It's in here. It's in God's Word. And so it is all Scripture, including Ecclesiastes. All scripture is profitable for us. Let's, let's turn to Ecclesiastes 2. Let's turn there. Ecclesiastes 2. And let me just read straight through. I'm going to begin at verse 18, and I'm just going to read straight through, and you follow along with me. Here's what uh, we've identified uh, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes as being Solomon. There are some who debate on that, and that's fine. Uh, we do know whomever it is, it is one who is operating in wisdom, and that there is questioning that is going on in their mind. But even in the questioning, you can see God revealing himself. God showing himself. I, I was talking to a dear friend of mine, Rabbi Alan Rabshanah. He, uh, he, he's the rabbi of the Temple Rishon, uh, Temple of Rishon over off of Hazel. And my wife and I had an opportunity to spend uh, Passover with he and his family uh, and have a Seder meal with them. A, 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 a Jewish rabbi and a Christian pastor <laughs> celebrating Passover together. First of all, I didn't know that a Seder meal went as long as it did. <laughs> we started at 6 and we didn't finish till 10. Can I give you an observation? They show sure eat good. Do you understand what I'm saying? They eat real well. All right. But it was a powerful experience. But one of the things he shared with me, because I was sharing with him that we were in this series in Ecclesiastes, and I just wanted his take on it. And I said, help me to understand some things, because there are some who approach Ecclesiastes as though it's just a sad book. It's a sorrowful book. There's really a, it's a depressing book and what have you. And I said, help me to understand some things about Ecclesiastes. What's your take on it? And he gave this example that I thought was perfect. He says... The book of Ecclesiastes is a book that is designed to help the believer, to help the one who is a God follower, watch this, to embrace the fullness of life and all that it offers with a sense of understanding and even, he used the term, realism. He says, and he gave this example, he says, there was a a, a rabbi who had taken two pieces of paper and wrote something on each paper and stuck the two pieces of paper in his pocket. 
And then he was going through the course of life. And as he went through the course of life, he experienced a terrible, terrible catastrophe of life. Things were just challenging. Things were painful. There was sickness. There was disease. There was trouble. There was poverty. And he reached into his pocket and he pulled out one piece of the paper out of the two. And he opened it up and he read it. And it read these words. This too shall pass. This too shall pass. Well, certainly, things got better. All of a sudden, there was healing. There was prosperity. There was strength. And he thought about that. He said, that is so wonderful. That's great. That's what that note said. But then, as things got better, he reached in one day as things were better, and he pulled out the second sheet of paper, and he opened it up, and he read what that note said. And it said, this too shall pass. (laughs) And isn't that how life is, beloved? There are times when we're on top of the world. And it seems like all of a sudden catastrophe or calamity comes, challenge comes. That's why Solomon helps us to understand this. And he brings this out in his reflection on work. Watch what he says beginning in verse 18. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toil and use my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled or worked with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. Boy, it makes you wonder if Solomon wrote this or if Prince wrote this. (laughs) Having to leave nearly 300 million that they're accounting for and much hundreds of millions that is still left in his estate and no will, no one who is designated to be over the estate. After all the years of work and labor, Makes you wonder. Look what it says in verse 22. What has a man or woman from all the toil and striving of heart in which they toil beneath the sun? The question is asked. What what do you have after you do all of this work? Verse 23. For all of their days are full of sorrow and their work is a vexation. Even in the night, their heart does not rest. This also is vanity. You know anyone like that? They just work and work and work and work. And it seems like they get stressed the more they work. Isn't it amazing that you hear so many stories of people who will retire after working years just to die within six months. It is amazing how much we pour into our work. And yet... He brings this thought out. He says, you can work so hard, and when it's all said and done, if you were to die, everything you work for would be left to somebody else to handle. And I know that to be the case as I have sat over the last month, and I've officiated nearly four funerals of individuals who have passed away. One observation I have made. And I've done the last four services and probably two out of the four were people who were extremely, extremely well-to-do. They had 
money, they had house, they had cars. But here's the observation I make of all of those that I've officiated their services. I did not one time see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You cannot take it with you. It stays right here. And this serves as a vexation in the heart of Solomon. He says, this challenges me. I work and I work and I work, and yet it seems like when all is said and done, someone else is going to benefit from the hard work that I've done. As though it suggests that as he writes this, I've worked, but I'm not able to enjoy what I've worked for. I've worked, and I've not been able to partake in what I've worked for. Look at verse 24. There is nothing better. Now watch this. He, he switches gears here. It seems like there's some hope. There's a ray of hope that comes in. All of a sudden now, he moves from oio snap to hi-ho, hi-ho. He says here in verse 24, there's nothing better for a person that they... Uh, that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his work. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. In other words, the lights come on. There's hope that's emerging. He says, I see something here in contrast to vanity, in contrast to a life that's just worrisome, a life that's just trying to make a dollar rub together, a life that moves beyond, you know, payday to payday. He says, I see something here that there is a life in which you can eat and you can drink. Be careful of what you drink. You can eat and you can drink and have joy. Amen. Have joy in the work that you're doing. The first job I ever had was at McClellan Air Force Base. I was working for a lady. It was a Jewish woman by the name of Betty J. Smith. She was 75 years old. I was 15. Betty should have retired a whole long time ago. I think God put her there to work my nerve. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> but Betty J. Smith taught me everything I've ever known about work ethics. She laid the foundation for my life that would move me forward in blessings and things that I'm walking in today. I am thankful for Betty J. Smith. She used to do, I mean, first of all, she smoked like a chimney. Poor thing. She smoked about 30 cigarettes during the eight-hour period that we were together. When she would pour out her ashtray, it sounded like machine gun going off. I mean, <laughs> but Betty used to teach me things like come to work on time. Whatever you do, do it right. She taught me things like, if you're sick, don't come to work and spread it over the whole office. She taught me things like, whatever you do, do it as though you are doing it to be rewarded. Do it well so that people will compliment you on it. She also taught me such things. When you come in here, don't come with your pants hung down. Don't come here looking raggedy. Make sure you look sharp. If you're going to interview, make sure you shake hands with the person you're interviewing with. She taught me these things. I mean, she poured into me. But here's one thing that she taught me that I will always appreciate. She says, on your payday, one thing I want you to do. Now, she was a, a Jewish woman, but she believed also in giving or in a form of tithing. 
And she said, make sure that you tithe, make sure you do something to honor God. But then she said, make sure you do something to honor yourself. Treat yourself. Well, I took that literally. I took that literally. She said, make sure you treat yourself. So every payday, I couldn't wait to get to Macy's to get a new shirt, a new pair of pants, a new pair of shoes. I couldn't wait to. In fact, that has stuck to me to to this day. Whenever I get paid, I can't wait to get to Nordstrom's Rack or get to Macy's. Please don't tell my wife. I need this to be a special Mother's Day for her. Don't tell her. That I've got some shoes that have been in my trunk for the last six weeks because I don't want to let her know that I bought them. Are you hearing me? And what's funny about that, she told me, she told me a couple of weeks ago, she said, I, I, I have fixed that bank account and I know if you mess with it. She fixed it so that a bell will ring on her cell phone. Every time I pull something up out the account. So right now, her phone is sounding like a pinball machine. You understand what I'm saying? Because I'm just buying everything. Treating myself. That's what he says. He says there's nothing better in verse 24 than a person should eat and drink and find enjoyment in their work. This also, he said, Solomon says, is from the hand of God. Verse 25, I like this. For apart from God, who can eat? Or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving wind. He says here, really, it it, it seems as though he taps into Psalm 128. And verse 2, that talks about we shall eat of the fruit of our labor. And it shall be well with us. And we shall have prosperity or joy. That, that's God's heart. God takes pleasure in seeing you and I being able to go to work. Not with a mentality of, oh, eo, snap. Let me get to the, the salt mines. That's not God's heart. God's heart is that you and I would go and that there would be some redemptive power, redemptive life within our work. Let me give you the origin of work. Maybe this will help you. In Genesis 2, 5 through 7, watch this. Work did not start after Adam was cursed. Work preceded the curse. How do you know that? Look what it says in Genesis 2, 5 through 7. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. Notice here, God had turned around. He had created the, the, the vegetation, the means by which things could grow. He creates everything, and yet nothing is emerging. Nothing is coming forth. Not even rain is coming forth. Why? He tells us, for there was no one to work the ground. God says, the potential is there. I have put everything in the soil for it to come forth. But it will not come forth until I have created one who is like myself. 
who is created in my image. He says, no rain, nothing will spring up, nothing will flourish. Why? No one is there to work, to work the ground. The the word work there actually comes from the term to serve, to serve, to service, to service the ground. Verse 6, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed Adam of dust from the ground and, watch this, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. God says, I'm putting everything that has potential to bring me glory, everything that is necessary for the sustenance of life, but it cannot come forward, nor can it emerge, nor can it be cultivated, nor can it move forth until I put someone who is like myself in place. That's why he places Adam in the garden. He places him in the garden. Some people think that means just moving him from one place to another place. That's not what the Hebrew means. When it says he placed Adam in the garden, it means, watch this, he placed him by putting him in charge of everything in the garden. Whatever Adam said, that's what it was. He didn't even name the plants until Adam got there. Adam had to name the plants. Adam had to name the animals. The dog could not be called dog until Adam said, dog, cat, rat, roach. (laughs) When Adam said it, that's what God allowed it to be. Listen, it's not that God could not have done it. God could have done everything. God could say, I'll do all the naming. I can do all the cultivating. All you have to do, Adam and Eve, is just sit back. And isn't it interesting? He did not give the luxury of Adam kicking back, as many of us think, in the garden, just sitting back and popping grapes in their mouth. Adam had to service the ground. And he couldn't service the ground until breath came. Life came. And then it's no longer, watch this, working for God merely, but now he's working with God. He's working with God. God's intent for work was that not that we merely just work for, but that we work with. That he would join with us and we would join with him. And the two of us, all of us in relationship to him, we are inseparable. We are inseparable. Where we are, God is. That's why God's got you working where he's got you working right now. That's why God has you in the cubicle that you're working in. That's why God has you in the office that you're working in. You think that you just went and applied for a job and went for the interview and God gave you favor to get the job. And many of us will get the job, get the favor, be blessed with a job that we didn't even qualify for. And yet God gives us the job and we'll tell everybody, we'll text everybody after the interview, I got the job. And we'll go to Applebee's and we'll celebrate it. And then eight months later we complain about, girl, pray that I get up out of this mess. Because we forget where our blessings come from. And God did not place you where he placed you in your career, in your business, or your job. Merely so that you could just take up space and work. He put you there so that his glory can be revealed. That's why God has you there. That's why God has you there. That's why you are where you are. That's why God has positioned you. Something happened. 
How did we shift? How did we move from the place? How did we move from the place of work being a blessing to work being a curse? I'm glad you asked that in Genesis 3, 17 and 19. Let me read it to you quickly. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust. And to dust you shall return. Now something catastrophic has taken place. Now there's been a separation. Between Adam Eve and God the Father because of disobedience, because they have not followed what God has called them to do. Now, I need to help help us today. This is going to be a little theologically challenging for some of you, but I want to clear something up in the house today. I want to clear something up real clearly in the house today. Let's stop blaming Eve for there being the curse. I thought the ladies would at least say amen on that. Come on. Let's stop blaming Eve because the reality is, here we go. I know this ain't going to go over too well over here. The reality is what would have happened if when Eve brought to Adam the fruit, what if he had taken what God had told him not to do and remembered it and he had stepped and literally said, I'm going to intercede and say to my wife, no, we will not do this. What if he had interceded and covered his wife? Come on, ladies, help me preach this. The men just sitting there looking. What if Adam had just covered his wife and interceded to God on behalf of his wife? What would have happened? I, I, I'd like to think that if Eve had come to me, I'm Adam, and Eve came to me and said, here, eat this fruit. I would have like, knowing what God told me to do, girl, get that out of your hand. What are you doing? <laughs> Put that down. <laughs> now the curse has come. And now work has shifted. Watch this. It's moved from working with to working for. Now it moves to, you're going to work, but you're going to work real hard now. Now you're going to feel some sweat. Now there's going to be some calluses on that hand. Now you're going to be frustrated because the freeway is packed on your way to work. Now you're going to be really frustrated when you go to work because you got a bad review. People are acting crazy on the job. Now you don't like your job. Now you're trying to change jobs for the fifth time in six months. All of this is happening. Because that's under the curse. Aren't you glad God doesn't leave us like that? God says, I want to bring you out of, watch this. I want to bring you out of curse thinking into blessed thinking. I want you to know your identity. I want you to know who you are. In Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, listen to what it says. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work. In the sons of disobedience. See, the sons of disobedience are working too. They're working too. There's something that's working in the sons of disobedience. 
among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But I love verse 4. I love these type of passages. But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he has made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved and raised us up with him. And he has seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's who you are. The curse took your breath away. It took your breath away. In fact, the word haval, the word haval is the Hebrew word that is used in Ecclesiastes 1 and 2 where it says vanity, all is vanity. The word vanity it can be translated mist. It can be translated smoke. It can be translated uh, uh, dew. But it also is translated, watch this, as breath. As breath. I believe that Solomon by, watch this, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Because all scripture is profitable. All scripture is good. All scripture helps us to know how to walk this thing out. I believe that Solomon, although he may not have fully grasped it, he tapped into the reality that when God is put first in your life, when God is glorified in your life, you are affirming that breath has come back to you. What was stolen through sin now has been returned to the redemption of the second Adam, who is Jesus Christ. Come on, look at somebody say, I'm alive today. Come on, tell them, I'm alive today. I'm alive today. I've got breath in me today. And he has raised me up so that when I go to work, Tomorrow, it's not, oh, here I go, that's another Monday. No, when I go to work tomorrow, hi-ho, hi-ho. <laughs> Off to work I go. God's got a purpose for me to be on this job. Could it be that God wants you on that job so that you can go early? Go early before everybody gets there and you take the breath of God that is in you and you touch every desk in your office. And you pray for people and you pray for their families and you pray for their marriages and you pray for their children. Could it be that God has you as being a light? You're trying to quit the job because it seems like it's dark all around you. Could it be that's where God wants you to shine the brightest? Because you are the hope. I know some of you say, I just want to work with Christians. I just want to work with believers. I want to be up out of here. I just wear, I wish I worked on a job where there was nothing with but believers, be careful what you pray for. Because <laughs> I know some places where there are a whole lot of Christians. And guess what? Here's some news. You may not know this. Christians can be a trap. <laughs> they can be a trip too. Could it be that God has you where you are? That you can be a light? Could it be that God wants you to shine brightest where it is dark? Could it be God wants you to stop hauling, come on, water to the ocean and start pouring it into the desert where people need hope. They need an answer. See, here's what he's done. He has restored us back to the original origin of what work was designed to be. 
I, I, I want to close with this, and let me just give you these two passages quickly, and this, this will help you. In Romans 8, 18 and 19, it says, I for, I, 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 for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed to us. Verse 19, for the creation waits for eager longing. It waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Could it be that people are waiting for God to be revealed in you? The life and the breath to be revealed in you. And then Mark 16 and 19, it says, So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And verse 20, And they went out, the disciples, and preached everywhere, everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs and wonders. Could it be that God has restored us back to our original place of what work is designed to be? Not, not, oh, it's vanity. Oh, it's just terrible. Oh, I just hate working. No, could it be that God has restored by giving us breath the high hope, the high hope, the ability to be a blessing, blessing of working, not curse. Listen, change your curse talk. And start speaking the blessing that is upon your life. Will you stand with me all over this room? Stand with me. This is God's heart to us. He's got good things in store for you. Bless what God has blessed you with. And let it be a blessing to others. Lift, lift your hands. Lift your hands all over this room. And let me just sing this blessing over you. And declare this over you as you get ready to walk out of these doors. Remember only what you do, for Christ will last. Remember only what you do, for Christ will last. Only what you do for him will be counted in the end. Remember only what you do for Christ will Whatever you do, do it not only for him, but beloved through his spirit, do it with him. Give the Lord praise. Our prayer counselors are here. Our prayer team, feel free to come up for prayer. Have a blessed Mother's Day. Let's go to work. God bless you.